Good morning, everyone. Is my on? Okay. Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Thanks for being in church today. Uh, always a great Sunday when you get to participate in the Lord's Supper, and usually the preaching's really good after that because you're all confessed up and already and open to good stuff, and hopefully I'm all confessed up and ready to give good stuff, and we kind of meet at that point and have a little energy with each other. I'm going to take a little bit of a roundabout way to Philippians chapter 2, so if you'll bear with me, I'll see if I can land the plane that was in my head and see if it makes any sense to you. But I'm going to start with just a conversation with you about uh, church leadership and how God anticipates and expects the leaders in local churches uh, to uh, behave and what their their job is. And what he's used as a description of church leadership at the local level is the concept of shepherd. It is a, uh, a concept that he himself embraced, and we're going to go to Psalm 23 in just a moment and look at our Lord as the Good Shepherd. <clears throat> if you want to wander there, we'll get there. But um, he, he lays that title on guys like me. Pastor is what we call us, right? And in that word pastor is the concept of being a shepherd. Now, um, I've been doing it a long time and thought about it even more than I've done it probably and read more books than I really ever have cared to read about the topic. And they're still writing those, by the way. You'd think we'd have this figured out by now. I mean, there's I got stacks. Anyhow, um, I don't think the task is that complicated. There's two things that we're supposed to do as shepherds. Number one, we're supposed to help the sheep stay on the path. How's that? Number two, we should take them somewhere while we have them on the path. That's it. You were thinking it was going to be big and profound. Here's the reality. If you fall off the path, it doesn't matter where we're going. We have to stop where we're going and go get you back on the path, right? And if we have you on the path, then how are we helping you down that path? And so Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible says that he gave some pastors, teachers to the people of God so that they would grow into maturity. So the pastor teacher is to take the sheep and help them grow up to maturity. He has to oversee their life and watch over them and take care of them in the process. Now, uh, the words used in the New Testament to describe this process, I'm going to Psalm 23 if you want to go there, um, are are several. That is, The shepherd gives oversight. The shepherd gives care. The shepherd does this out of a position of trustworthiness. In other words, there is character, the New Testament term elder, that there is character in these leaders that causes you to believe in them. They then give oversight to your life and care for your life. And that's the picture of what church is supposed to be, shepherd to sheep, flock to leader, and so on. God himself puts himself in the position of shepherd here in Psalm 23. If you're not used to your Bible, it's on page 458 in that Bible in the chair in front of you. And again, don't be embarrassed by that. Uh, We're all learning together, and if you don't even have a Bible, take it home with you. We'd love for you to... Uh, continue the journey past this room. 
But Psalm 23, that famous psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It's good stuff, right? Boy, do we have an amazing God who will do that for us. In the meantime, you're stuck with guys like me <clears throat> trying to help you down that same path. But look what God does as shepherd in this passage, verses 1 and 2. He gives direction to nourishment. He's my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Verse 3, he gives me direction through discipline. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Now, sometimes sheep don't want to stay on the path. Uh, verse 4, he gives protection. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. The tools of the shepherd, then, these two sticks in his hands, he uses to provide these functions in a person's life, to lead them to uh, nourishment, to give discipline to their life, and to protect them. The shepherd's crook, if you will, has got that little, uh, uh, you know, curvy thingy at the top of it. If a sheep falls off the path and is in trouble, the shepherd can literally take that crook, put it under the armpits of the sheep, and bring it back to safety. The rod, if he's got a stubborn sheep who just won't follow, is there to doink him in the head. <clears throat> sheep have a real thick thing up here and they need to be doinked sometimes the role of the shepherd then in nourishing rescue them from danger and doink them in the head my personal favorite part of pastoring the doinking <clears throat> just kidding but you'll notice in the passage that this rod and this staff are what comforts the flock and that rod and that staff gives direction gives correction brings rescue, in essence creates an atmosphere of safety and provides a, a situation where growth can occur. And so I'm praying that you could find a church like that, right? Because wouldn't that be an amazing experience? Wouldn't it be amazing to look at the leadership in a church and say, those men have my best at their hearts. If I fall off the path, they will come and rescue me. If I need to be doinked, they will doink me, but not because they don't love me, but because they do. Mm -hmm. Now, <clears throat> why am I talking about all this is because I think that's what's going on in the book of Philippians. I think the apostle who's in prison is shepherding his flock in Philippi and the only tool he has, his rod and his staff, is this letter. And this letter is his way of putting the crook under their arms and dragging them back to safety. And frankly, today we're going to watch him doink them in the head. Because they have gotten off, off target, off message. Their life has transitioned to a place it was not supposed to be. As we've opened the book of Philippians, page uh, 981, we have seen then in the first chapter, verses 1 to 26, 
just this kind of rehearsing of, hey, I really love you, and you're amazing, and I pray for you, and you support me, and aren't, isn't it all great that we're together and all this stuff, and boy, you mean the world to me, and I'm hoping I mean the world to you, and boy, I, this is good stuff, this following Jesus together. And then he gets to verse 27, he gives his first directive. Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. This is the first time he steps away from just kind of warm, fuzzy greetings and these things and says, uh, as a shepherd, I need to direct your life here. The, the, The command there is live as a citizen of the gospel. The manner of your life is you are a Jesus person. You are to live as a Jesus person. This is a tough place to do it. You'll notice in the, in the immediate context there that you are to stand firm in one spirit. This is going to be a very important point, you guys. He keeps calling them to the unity of the flock. You guys need to stick together as a flock. And so he says, I, I want to hear that you're standing firm in one spirit, one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. So there was some pressure coming from outside this church, squeezing their faith, and he's saying, you got to hang together. You guys need each other. Whatever you do, don't give up on each other because the outside forces are trying to shatter the unity that Christ has given you. Hmm. But if you will uh, live a life worthy of being a citizen, that means you're going to be together as one. Um, he then goes on and addresses uh, the internal pressures that come from just being a human being in chapter 2. If there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort, any participation of the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind. Here we are unified again. Um, of one, excuse me, being in one full accord in one mind, same love, do nothing from selfish ambition, but in humility count others. Look not only to your own interests, and then he gets to verse 5, and here comes the second directive. Have this mind in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus. And again, the shepherd then comes alongside the flock and says, this is how you're supposed to live, you guys. Um, He's addressed how you stay unified in the midst of external pressure, and now he's addressing how to stay unified in the midst of your own internal desires and motives. Think about how many people are in the room right now. How many different motives and desires are going on inside this room at this very moment? How is it that God is going to bring us all together as one? Well, we're going to have the same mind that Christ had. And I'm counting on you to have Christ's mind, and you're counting on me to have Christ's mind. And if we'll do that, we'll be together. And together, we're going to be amazing. But they're coming for us, and our own internal selfishness will destroy this unity. If we don't hang on to it. Um, He then keeps moving through the passage and comes to verse 12. And he says, you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That which God has given you in the person of Christ, you must now flush it out in your everyday life. And he might as well have taken you right back to 127. says, let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That which you've been called to should be that which you live with. And so he takes on this position over and over again 
and it kind of ends up with two words, get along. You guys get along with each other. Stop fighting. Stop tearing each other to pieces. We have outside pressures coming on us, you guys. We need each other. We have the internal selfishness that resides in every single one of us. We have to get past that so that we can stay unified with each other. We have to take the salvation we've been given and work it out. Now, that's background for today's passage. And today's passage is a doink. Do you all remember doink? That's been a while. It's been two or three minutes since I talked doink with you. Today's passage, starting in verse 14, is the shepherd pulling out the rod and banging the stubborn sheep upside the head so that they will do what they're supposed to do. Get back on the path. Stop behaving like this. We have work to do. I can't get you to the place of nourishment you need to be unless you'll stop fighting me. Doink. Now, uh, little sidelight, this just came to my mind. These are always the dangerous moments, right? This is not in the notes. And it's like, hmm, I don't know. Um, in Psalm 23, uh, Philip Keller has wrote an amazing book. It's old. Uh, it's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. It is worthy of your reading. It's not a hard read. Um, he talks about the sheep that he calls Mrs. Gadabout. Mrs. Gadabout is the sheep who will not respond to being doinked. And you know what you do with Mrs. Gadabout? Lamb chops. <clears throat> because if you don't take care of Mrs. Gadabout, she'll lead the rest of the flock in the wrong place. And he's, he's speaking from position of being a shepherd of many many decades of leading literal sheep and making sure that the pastures are green and perfect and there's always one that wants to get over and eat the brown dirt on the other side of the fence and they will lead the rest of the flock to the dirt if you do not deal with them. We're not there yet, just thought I'd bring it up. Uh, but he is bringing the staff out and hitting them between the eyes. Why don't you stand, let's read our passage. Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 19. You guys ready? It's not going to be easy. Do all things. There's your command. Oh, sweet. Here's the qualifiers. Without grumbling or disputing. All the mothers getting ready for the kids to stay home for the summer. Oh, that's a great verse for my children to memorize all summer. That you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ... I may be poor, proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad, and I rejoice with you all likewise. You should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. Father, we open your word. 
um, with fear and trembling this morning before you, the amazing author and director of our lives, and ask that you would shepherd us like you do in Psalm 23, that you would lead us beside still waters and make us lie down in green pastures today. Restore our souls and help us to know you better. Thanks for these words. I pray for our church family that you would strengthen us in the unity of your grace. And I'm grateful that we're here to meet together and meet with each other. May your grace be upon our gathering. Help us to learn your ways. Help us to be willing and desirous to walk your paths. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Please be seated. So this theme that I've tried to pull out, this theme of staying unified, is opened up in these few verses. And I just want to unpack that with you. So a commitment to unity protects the reputation of God. And he comes to them, and he, he as I already noted, he says, do everything. Do you think he means everything? Is there anything that I am allowed to not do in this passage? It, it, it doesn't leave me any room to wiggle even, does it? Do everything. And then it puts the qualifiers of how to do everything, and they're both negative. Do them without some things. Do them without grumbling. Do them without disputing. Wow. Everything? Politics? I'm supposed to do politics without grumbling and disputing? Have you met our politicians? Grumbling is the idea of the whispered complaints, you know, kind of that low growl underneath. Disputing is the purposeful quarreling for divisiveness. People who love to debate for the purpose of debating, not because they're seeking answers, but because they're seeking to make known their ideas. And I wrote this in all caps in my notes. This is an ongoing church problem. No kidding. You guys ever been to church? Grumbling and disputing might be what we do best. These are the characteristics of going to church. It causes people to stay home. And it causes some people to go, can't wait to get there. Can't wait for the Calminian debate today. It's going to be a good time. Can't wait to have a scorecard on the musicians. Didn't sing my kind of songs today. A little old school this morning. Needed a little more. Mm. And Paul takes this rod out and he doinks him. He says, you guys need to stop this. This is a problem in this church at Philippi. This is ruining 
the labor that he has given on behalf of the name of Christ is that these people are more than content to sit around and grumble and bellyache about all that is going on. It is not just Philippians. I'll show you a couple more. You want to go back a couple pages, the book of Ephesians chapter 4, page 977. The first uh, three verses of chapter 4, Paul says, I therefore as a prisoner of the Lord urge you to walk in a worthy manner of the calling by which you've been called. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? We just read that. Live wife worthy. You do that with all humility and gentleness, with patience and bearing with one another in love. In verse 3, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. This is how we should approach church. We should approach church with humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance, and eagerness to put unity on display. Above all things. Slide over to verse 25, same chapter. Put away falsehood. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. We're members together, you guys. Be angry and do not sin And do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. You have to understand that if you're going to embrace a position of of angst and bitterness toward your brothers and sisters in Christ, you've invited Satan into your church family. He will show up at the business meeting. He will be in choir practice. He will be in your ABF. He'll be at the Awana Awards. You'll think your child got ripped off at the, uh, what's that race car thing we do? What's it called? Grand Prix. I couldn't think what it was called at all. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that kid never even touched his car. His dad's a cotton-picking engineer, and he built the whole thing for him, and the kid just handed it in. This was a, if you've ever been to the Grand Prix, it's actually a race between the fathers and the mothers. The children have very little to do with anything. And, you know, it's like who can build the fastest car, and the guy's got wind tunnels out there to see how their cars are going. stinking engineers can't stand let no thief steal any longer let him labor doing honest work so he can have something to share don't let corrupt talk come out of your mouths verse 29 i'm still reading here but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear, I beg you, memorize that verse. I beg you more. I I doubled, I'm going to the triple dog dare right out of the box. I triple dog dare you to live verse 29 in your church. Show up anytime you come here with the express purpose of building others up. That's your only mission every time you come in the door. That is a triple dog dare And yes, your tongue is stuck on the flagpole if you know that story. Anyhow, verse 30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. You guys, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another. Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. These are amazing words, aren't they? Why did he have to write them? Because the Ephesians, they be people. That was 
That was my in-laws, Kentucky, sneaking in on me right there. You following me? They're human beings. Redeemed, yes. But that whole what's inside of them still inside of them. And that's why, that's why Paul in Philippians 2 says that you can't, you, you, you can't let the selfishness of your own heart drive your behavior. You have to be like Christ. So there's the admonition to the Ephesians. Let's go to another church. How about the Colossians? So now we go back through Philippians to page 984. We get to the Colossians. Here's another church. These are all the church that the apostles, y'all want to go back? I'm going to be like the first century church. You understand all these letters are written to churches that are dysfunctional. They're written to them because they're a mess. In Colossians, the same thing. Uh, Verse 12 of Colossians chapter 3, put on then God as God's chosen ones, holy beloved. Here's what you're to put on, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, forgiving one another as the Lord has forgiven you. you. You must forgive. Above all these, put on love that binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Sometimes the Bible sounds like hollow words of impossibility, don't they? Because I know who I am. And I'm not made to forgive. I'm made to remember. Get ready for the doink on your hard head as God takes his staff out and corrects your life. All right, you ready? I'm going to make a very risky statement. I told Amy ahead of time I was going to make the risky statement. She goes, oh, please don't. Um. Many of you have come here from other churches in our community. And that's somewhat flattering. And we get a little energized when new people show up. But here's what I want you to think through. Are you running away from a grumbling, murmuring situation from a group of people who honestly loved you and cared for you? Churches aren't perfect places. Pastors aren't perfect human beings. But did you run from something that you shouldn't have run from? And here's the risky part. I want you to go back. Because the unity of the body is more significant than your comfort and your ease. And I know I probably just cut attendance and giving and whatever else comes with that. We'll deal with that if that needs... I would rather have the Church of Jesus Christ be unified across our city than I would for us to be full at someone else's expense. That was risky, wasn't it? It didn't taste that good coming out of my mouth, to be honest. But I think it's right. I just want you to think about it. I'm in no position to demand you to do that. I have no information that says, I know what you did. I don't know any of your stories in the room. So I don't have any preconceived idea who did what, where, and why. And perhaps it just means going back and making things right and then coming back here 
I, can I be honest with you? I think God's doing something special here. I, I think this place is going to blow up and be amazing for the cause of the gospel. I don't know if it's going to get big or not, but I think the influence, I'll get to this shining thing here in just a second. And that's one of the reasons we bought this campus and moved down here is we thought it gave us an opportunity to shine as bright as we could possibly shine. And, and, and we're excited about that. I'm thankful that you're here, but I don't want you to be here if you should be there. Are you guys following me? Nobody's amening on this one. You know, they're not, they're, we're not doing the wave on this one, are we? All right. Um, so that's what to avoid. Here's why we avoid it. Verse 15. You do all things without grumbling and disputing because the reputation of God is at stake. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish without blemish. There's no blame. There's no flaws. There's no fault. Our Christian community should be void of bickering and complaining and bitter criticisms because we're the children of God. And the children of God forgive as they've been forgiven. And the children of God build up those who are terror downers. And the children of God care with one of the sheep fall off the path. And the children of God come alongside their fellow sheep and help them stay where they need to be in a, in a, in a pasture full of green, nourishing uh, uh, food where they can grow and mature and become all that God meant them to be. You see in the passage, you do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless, innocent children of God. Your heavenly Father's reputation is on the line here. You think it's your reputation. You think it's your pride that's bruised. It's his. And so we must get to the place where we understand the reason we avoid all this grumbling and disputing, all this bickering and bitterness is because we're God's people. And we are going to live, as Paul said in verse 27, a worthy life of our citizenship. And that means we figure it out. We are not satisfied to be angry with each other. Things are going to happen. People are going to behave poorly. Sometimes it's going to blow back on you personally. What do you do with that? But let me take it a step further. The commitment to unity not only protects the reputation of God, it projects the redemption of God. Here we go, you ready? You are in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights to the world. So where do we live, you guys? This is going to be a big surprise to all of you. You live in the middle. You live in the middle of a generation that the Bible calls crooked and twisted. Literally, our, um, our culture has scoliosis. Braden, you'd know about that, wouldn't you? Yeah, I thought you would. And that's literally the word in the original, scoliosis. You're crooked, man. You're, it's not kind of going the way it's supposed to go here. This is the world we live in. It, it is a world that 
that the Bible calls twisted. Now listen, how many examples of this could I give you? I'm not even going to list them all. I, uh, you, you could, I, I thought about having you holler them out at me. And I thought, no, that's really a bad idea. That, who knows what they'll holler out. Some crooked person's going to holler out a twisted thing, and then I'm going to go, oh, man, that was not good. Uh, so in my mind, it worked. And then the Lord spoke to me and said, you're an idiot. That won't work. Um, I don't think any of us who are awake can look at the culture in which we're in right now and not go, whoa, this thing's getting weird. I thought it was a little crooked. It's, it's gone. It's, it's bent more directions than, 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 than I can even think of, you know. And it continues to fly down the train tracks of its destiny. And it's a sad, sad thing. And with all the technology available today, you can get there so fast. You can get so far away, so fast, you don't even realize how far you are. And God knows all about it. And he dropped us right in the middle of it. Actually, let me say it better than that. He rescued us from out of the center of it and said, I want you to be different. I want you to live as children of God. I want you to be worthy of the gospel citizenship that you have received from me. I want you to live a straight life in the midst of a crooked world. I want you to live an honorable life in the midst of a twisted world. And so, this is how, this is where we live. How we live, it says here that we are to shine as lights in this world. Uh, we all know Matthew 5, right? Uh, we get the song. I thought about singing the song that we sing with the kids, This Little Light of Mine. What happens next? Do you all want to sing it to me? Are you all awake? Are you still here? Here we go. There we go, Deb. Keep going. Oh, here we go. Hallelujah. Keep it going, Deb. What's the next verse? All right, no bushels here. I think there's one more verse. Don't let Satan. Right? That's pretty good. Deb, Deb did well, didn't she? Hey, Deb. Uh, don't move. We got to do that second hour again. So, 
No one else is going to do that for me second hour. They're going to go, what are you doing out there, man? Guess what, you guys? The song is wrong. Sorry, Deb. You know what? You know what's wrong with the song? He didn't want you to shine as a little light. That's not what this passage is saying. The word here is only used one other time in the New Testament. It's in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, and it describes the brilliance of the New Jerusalem. We're not supposed to shine as little lights. We are supposed to be beacons of light. In the Septuagint, the uh, Greek version of the Old Testament, this same word is used to describe the creation of the stars in Genesis chapter 1. And I think part of our problem, you guys, and I love the song, Deb, that was beautiful, by the way. It's just so great. I almost want to, you know, if I had a lighter, you know, an encore. Um, <laughs> I think our problem is that we think of ourselves as tiny little lights. We're fireflies in this world. But not if we're unified. You see, if we're unified, we bring all those lights together. And the whole world doesn't just see one little firefly. The whole world sees this gigantic flame of the people of God. And they don't view us as little piddly little individuals. They go, what is that church doing? How? What? What? They don't know what to do with this giant light that's in them. There isn't a bushel big enough to put over a lit up church. And there isn't a satanic influence strong enough to extinguish our light. You just ate and drank the Lord's Supper as if you're one. And I think we wander around as Christians like, I got my little light, hide it under a bushel, no. Don't let Satan put it out, no. And guess what? Some days my light's not very good. I don't mind standing next to yours when it's burning bright. Maybe some of it will rub off on me. When he tells these people, you live in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, but you are among those who shine as lights in the world, he is gathering up the Philippian church and saying, you guys are supposed to be a roaring flame in Macedonia for the cause of Christ that no one could ever, ever miss. They may hate it, but they won't miss it. And the power of our character as children of God and the lack of our internal grumbling and disputing puts on display this magnificent light that lives in each one of us and then collectively together it goes, whoa. 
So you guys, when we commit to being in oneness and being together, when we commit to our citizenship as a group of people, our church will be a blazing star in Fort Wayne, Indiana. It won't be some little light that you can put a basket over. They may not like it, but they're going to notice it. And if we think about what stars do and we think about what lights do and we think about what shining things happen, it, it, it does a couple of things, right? It, 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 it puts things on display. It illuminates it also defines who we are. I think when the Good Shepherd looks at our lives, this is what he expects from us as his people. And beloved, we have to get better. And that's why I said, you know, maybe you need to go back to the church you came from because maybe the light got a little extinguished because you're not there. I want to stop bringing that up. I want you all to stay here. I have to be honest. But I want you, to, more importantly, to do the right thing. Okay? Because there is a collective shining of all of our churches in this city that we need to rise up in the world and, and that this crooked and twisted generation that's all around us needs to see the people of Jesus Christ as the children of God who get along with each other enough to shine so bright that they have to deal with us. Well, that leads me to the last part, and that is this, the commitment to unity preserves the truth of God. I'll go quickly through this part. <clears throat> How do you shine as lights in this world? Verse 16, you're holding fast the word of life. You give clarity to what you believe. So the word of life brings both illumination in contrast to darkness. It defines who we are and shows that we're different, but it also sheds light toward that darkness. Instead of arguing and debating with ourselves, we hold out the word of life. I've been thinking a lot lately about, I, I always try to think in ways that, that make sense to a simple mind because it's all I've got. It takes a long time to figure out a simple mind. Churches have walls and churches have windows. And both are important. The things that happen inside the walls are really important. That, that, that's the shepherd leading the sheep to maturity, Ephesians chapter 4. That is all of us doing the work of the ministry, not watching the ministers do the work of the ministry. It's us getting in there and getting our hands dirty and our hearts filled. Um, but then, if we're doing that, the windows become more interesting, don't they? If we spend all of our time worried about what's inside the walls... Or the people inside the walls are always bickering and bellyaching and causing trouble so much that it takes all the attention. You never look out the windows. I thought of this in one of our buildings, I think in our office building. I don't know if you've noticed the amazing windows on this campus. It's a metaphor for who we're supposed to be on this campus, you guys. 
we are supposed to be people who look out the windows and say, I wonder about those folks. I wonder if we could help them. I wonder if they know Christ the way we know Christ. I wonder if they have the peace of God in their heart. I wonder if they're citizens of heaven. I should go try to figure out how to show them how to experience that. Windows and walls, we need to give clarity by our lives to the people around us. And instead of sitting around and being all, what is it, soured and stale and filled with fungus, Try to think of some other descriptions there. None of them were worthy of Sunday morning. Um, what if we were bright and filled with the rejoicing of the living God as citizens who have been rescued from their evil ways and the world would go, those are some weird people over there at Well Street. I mean, they are strange ducks. And so we bring clarity. We hold fast the word of God. We do not let go of it. We hold it tightly and we give it away simultaneously. Isn't that interesting? This then leads to confirmation. Paul says in very interesting words and, uh, that, that I may be proud that I didn't run in vain or labor in vain with you. Up to this point, it has been all about the glory of God in verse 11 and his good pleasure in verse 13. And now it's a confirmation of the apostle's ministry himself. As you guys live this out, you confirm that it was worth my time to give you the gospel. And I'm ready now to die. I'll be poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice offering of your faith. I'm willing to die for you to believe It's okay with me if I die because of your belief. And on this, I am glad. And on this, you can be glad too. This is the confirmation of the cycle of ministry before our very eyes. And it leads to exponential joy, you guys. I didn't say exponential ease or exponential comfort but exponential joy. I close your favorite two words. Right? I close. First Peter chapter 2, page Peter writing a whole different group of people. Interestingly, um, calls them beloved. He's their shepherd. Verse 12, Paul called the Philippians his beloved. There's a relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. You matter. Anyhow, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Come on, you guys. Don't allow your flesh to determine your life. Verse 12, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds. And guess what happens to them? An amazing thing. You become so fascinating and attractive 
that they turn and they now glorify God on the day he returns. And that will be as sweet as it can be, you guys, that those who are hostile to us and can't stand us and despise us and speak poorly of us become one of us because of how we lived before them. Hmm? So, dear friends, we need to get along. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your words in our lives. What a challenge it is for us, Lord. I I like my opinions a lot, and I'm pretty sure I'm right. And uh, it causes me to have distrust for those who disagree or see it differently. I pray that you spare us from bitterness and the, the disputes and the grumblings that churches so often are inhabited by. Purify the inside walls so that we will gaze out the windows at the harvest that you have put in front of us. And Lord, I pray that Headwaters Church would have a magnificent, shining presence in this community for many, many years to come and let it begin now. May your grace be upon us as we endeavor to do this. The evil one will not rest, Father. He will attack. The pressure from outside and the selfishness from inside are huge obstacles for us. We need your help. May your grace be upon us as we endeavor to be good citizens of your gospel. Amen. God bless you all.